What a privilege to be sharing the word of God with you. It's great. Um, now we'll get this. I do use PowerPoint extensively. Once the... Oh, there it is. God, is he really there? Is there evidence that God exists? Before I go into the apologetics, I want to start with, the, with what I think is the main point. Now, I'm gonna, this came to me last night. I'm going to sing a song that you oldies will know. And when it comes to the last line, join me. Okay? He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. There you are. There is a greatest, strongest, single proof that God exists. I asked Jesus into my heart in 1973, and I know at that moment I was born again, and my life has never been the same. I can't show God to you. It's like I can't, like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Throughout history, for the last 2,000 years, millions upon millions of people have got the same testimony. I have felt God, I've experienced him, I've heard him, one day I'll see him. But that is one argument for the existence of God that nobody else can argue with. They can't argue with your experience and your sharing a testimony. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, shared her testimony. The whole village came to find out more about it and they all came to faith. So never underestimate the power of your testimony. Does it say in Revelation somewhere that we overcome the evil one by the power of our testimony? Great. So yes, we'll look at the word and we'll consider other arguments for the existence of God and some well, other issues connected to that. What I'm going to do is put down my stick. Stay. Good on you, brother. That's good. So, God, is he really there? I want to make my first point. And that is... Great. The Bible does not argue or defend the existence of God. You can't find anywhere in the Scriptures, here's why God exists. The Bible just takes his, his existence for granted. It's a given. So it's not a book of apologetics, although you know, academics have sought to dig it out and come the arguments, you know, evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. Excellent stuff. And yes, we should get a handle on it, but you don't share that with an unbeliever. Here, read chapter 6. Okay, It's there for us to have some basic arguments. So I'm going to come up with three main points. Proofs for the existence of God. One, creation is evidence. We sung that this morning. Romans chapter 1. Secondly, conscience. Our built-in sense of right and wrong is evidence of the existence of God. And thirdly and ultimately, Christ, chapter 3, is the ultimate revelation of God to us. These are the three C's. How do I know that God is there? Let's talk about it in that sequence. Creation. In the beginning, God created 
the universe, the heavens and the earth. And there's no, you know, people say, well, okay, well, who made God? Now, I, I've, I've been dealing with university students for a long time and I get a lot of, uh, hmm, well, I get this question a lot. I won't call it naive, but, it, you know, it's, it's a typical question that you might get. In Psalm 90, before you were created the heavens, or, or sorry, created the hills or brought the world into being, you are eternally God and will be God forever. Before the heavens and the earth, God was there, was the argument, and always will be. Um, in Revelation, I am the Alpha and Omega, and this is Jesus speaking, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Nobody made God. God was always there. In fact, you go back to Moses um, when he reveals himself, God reveals himself in the burning bush. Remember the name God gave himself? Moses said, well, who will I say send me? So God's answer, I am who I am. You must tell them the one who is called I am has sent me to you. Now, what does that mean? I am who I am. The name Yahweh, no, Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Jehovah. The self-existent one. I have always been, I will always be, I am here in the present and am the great constant that holds the universe together. I did some reading the other day. I read a Time article magazine, Time magazine article years ago when these astrophysicists were deciding we don't know what holds the universe together. And even now, there are conflicting schools of thought about what holds atoms together, and yet logically, according to one theory, it should all explode. So what holds the universe together, they still don't know. Now they're talking about super string. And in the Time magazine, they called it, it's held together by that which is. (laughs) Which I just said is an impersonal name for I am holds it together. Jesus made it all and he holds it together by the word of his power. So the scientists are finally going to catch up with the theologians. Alright? That's great. Um, I am. Now, well, if God is there, have you had anyone say this to you? Show me God and I'll believe. Just give me some evidence. Well, why can't we see God? Give me evidence of his existence and I'll believe. Now Jesus said, even if someone should rise from the dead, you still won't believe. So there's something else going on here. Hmm. God is spirit. That's why I can't show him to you. In Psalm 139, uh-oh. Where could you go to escape from you? Where could I get away from your presence, your spirit? If I went to the heavens, you'd be there. If I lay down in the earth, in the land of the dead, you'd be there as well. God is everywhere and yet he's not visible. Um, can you see a radio wave? There are Wi-Fi waves in here, aren't there? This is working. Can you see them? No. Mankind can only, if the spectrum of light is that broad, we can only see about that much. What about, can you hear a dog whistle? No, you can't. Does that mean it's not there? If I can't hear it, it's not there. Boop. Is that a rational argument? It's a very arrogant view, isn't it? 
that you know, the scientific method, I should be able to observe it and measure it and reproduce it. And we apply that as if we can see everything, hear everything. It's not, doesn't make any sense. Um, terrific. God's unique attributes. Now I know you know this, you'll see why I'll share this in a minute. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He doesn't have a physical body. I can't show it to you. In the old days they had their idols, you know, carved out of wood, coated in gold. And as God mocks in Isaiah, you stand them and ask them for an answer to anything. They're, they're dumb. They're deaf. They're blind. I will tell you the future. And when it happens, you know that I'm the Lord God who told it to you. Okay? God is omnipresent. He is omniscient or, uh, sorry, omnipotent or powerful. He created the heavens and earth. Enough said. He is omniscient or knowing. And in one of the songs here, Lord, you know all this indescribable. You know my heart as well and you still love me. Yes, God sees through the barriers, past the barriers, doesn't he? And he still says, that's okay, I accept you. He knows stuff about me that even I don't know about me. Hmm. Now, a story I heard many years ago really resonated with me. There was a preacher sitting in a restaurant having his dinner. He's got his Bible on the table and he's minding his own business. He's eating fish. And some smart aleck walks in and says, Bible, huh? Scripture. You believe that book? Yep. You know that book? Yep. You understand everything in that book? And, and the preacher stops. and says, sir, it's like this fish I'm eating. The flesh I eat, but the bones I put to another to the side so that any fool who wants to choke over them can have them. Does it bother you that I, as a finite man, cannot fully comprehend an infinite God? It would bother me more if I thought that I could. Okay. So yes, there is mystery. There is still, even though we have our Bibles, the secret things that belong to the Lord our God. And that's the way they'll stay till we get there. Okay. Now, God's unique attributes. Um, yet even though we cannot see him, we can see his handiwork as evidence of his existence. I've never met Van Gogh, never met him, but I know he lived because his paintings are there in galleries around the world. They are evidence of his existence and his creativity. So to the universe, the Bible says, all creation is evidence that our God is there. Now, uh-oh, I thought I wouldn't... I'm going to turn my head, excuse me, if I'm going to read that. You've got an Old Testament passage and a New Testament, Psalm 19. Let's have a look. Uh-oh. How clearly the sky reveals God's glory. How, how plainly it shows what he has done. Every day announces it to the following day. Each night repeats it to the next. No speech or words are used, no sound is heard, yet their message goes out to all the world and is heard to the ends of the earth. God made a home in the sky for the sun. I remember in year 10 in high school, I was not a believer, I was quite sceptical and cynical, but the first time I was out in the bush at night and saw them anything like the Milky Way blew my mind. And I thought, 
I try to imagine how big all of that is and therefore how small I am and answer a human life approaches zero in terms of significance or value. That's a logical conclusion. And yet I knew, but if I wasn't here, then why would that be there? It created a real dilemma in my mind and I knew I didn't understand my purpose for being. When my number one son was about seven years old, I took him out uh, to the bush and I said, okay, Evan, we're going to step outside the car and we're going to shut the door. It's going to be dark, but don't worry, I'm holding your hand. So we stepped out of the car, we shut the door. I said, okay, Evan, look up. And this is what he said. God. Just like that. That was my seven-year-old son's conclusion when he saw the heavens. And I think any honest person would have the same conclusion as well. Now, why do I say honest? Well, our reading today was from um, Romans 1, yeah? Let's look at this. God's anger is revealed from heaven against all the sin and evil of the people whose evil ways prevent the truth from being known. I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is a really sick place. You've got lunatics killing Muslims in Christchurch, and lunatics killing Christians in Sri Lanka. I mean, there's a lot of evil going down. Just watch the news, you'll know what I mean, yeah? The evil ways prevent the truth from being known. And it says in the Revised Standard Version, suppress the truth. Now what does it mean to suppress something? Put it down, put it down. The truth comes to mind, but oh, no, 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 can't have it. Why not? God punishes them because what can be known about God is plain to them and God himself has made it plain. We see in the second half of this verse, they are without excuse. They know the truth, but no, 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 I don't want that to be the story that I sign up for. See the, the next two verses. God's anger is revealed from heaven against... Oh, hang on, is that the same one? Oh. God has made a plane. Ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen. They are perceived in the things that God has made. So these people have no excuse at all. The evidence is there. Have you ever watched the whole sunrise from go to woe? It's amazing. And you think, this glorious overture to a day that God provides is happening constantly around the globe. Once a day, every neighbourhood gets the opportunity to be reminded that God is there. And at night, on the other side of the world, the same testimony is being sung out. There are no words, as we saw in Psalm 19, but the message is clear. So, if it's so clear, how come people don't see it? Well, he said, they don't want to see it. It is not an intellectual problem. I remember hearing many years ago, why don't people believe the gospel? Three possible reasons. One, ignorance. Well, if it's ignorance, that's our job. Tell them the truth. Number two, maybe it's um, procrastination. They're just putting it off. Or number three, they love sin. And if I love sin, I don't want to acknowledge God because that puts me in a very awkward position. And that's what this next quote is about. Have you heard of Aldous Huxley? 
Yeah, Brave New World and the like, he wrote many things. Look at what he admitted one time. Now, he was acknowledged as one of the greatest intellectuals in the 20th century, an influencer of thinking and culture. He said, I had motive for not wanting the world to have a meaning. I don't want there to be a meaning. I don't want there to be a purpose. Consequently, I assumed that it had none. A simple assumption. And was able, without any difficulty, to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. I want to be free from the constraints of old-time religion and morality and, oops, accountability one day at the Day of Judgment. I don't like that thought. So I'll assume, I'll assume it's not there, that it's not true. Then goes on to say, or why his friends should not seize political power and govern in the way that they find most advantageous to themselves. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. It's not that I can't believe, it's I don't want to believe. And therefore, well, you come up with proof, no, I just disclaim it, I suppress it. I don't want it to be true. It is not an intellectual battle, brothers, sisters. It's a spiritual battle. And the Bible says, if I'm not a slave to Jesus, then whose slave am I? Satan's. He's a God in this world. And so, in the guise of intellectual, I just find this the statement of the deepest possible hypocrisy. Yes, I'm an intellectual. Well, if you're an intellectual, you check out the evidence first before you decide. If I was a judge and I saw the, the person come into the court and he's Chinese, ah, that's it, all Chinese are rap bags, guilty. I mean, what sort of a judgment is that? That would be utterly immoral, indefensible. But that's what he did, or admits to doing, having done. He's dead now, so now he knows the truth. Not a comforting thought. You see, the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I had a friend of mine who said, it takes an even bigger fool to say it out loud. But that's another story. I don't want to call people fools. Remember, reverence and respect. So here's my argument to someone who says there is no God. I say to them, let's imagine that blue circle is every single thing in the universe that can be known. How much do you know? And the answer is always to exaggerate a little bit. I know about that much. Well, congratulations. You mean to say there's a 99% probability that God exists just outside of your knowledge? Congratulations. You're no longer an atheist who can say there is no God. You're now an agnostic, which just means I don't know. Nice little argument, that one. Okay. Hmm. Now, so the, the alternative to intelligent design and creation is evolution. We're here as a result of time or slime plus time. Okay? You give it long enough, it'll happen. Yeah, right. Well, if they really believe that, then what is the value of a single life? 
The Communist Manifesto says, what is a human being? A human being is a fortuitous concourse of atoms. Fortuitous, dumb luck, that's how you got there. And concourse of atoms, well, I don't know, you're an animal and there you are. The Nazis, through their treatment of the Jews, put a dollar value on a human body, what they can get out of it. I won't talk about that, it's pretty horrible. But you see, if evolution is true, then you're of no greater value than an ant. And you're bigger, you live longer, but really, you're nothing. In 200 years' time, none of us will be here. So it's very difficult for an evolutionist to come up with a human life is of great value. It doesn't match. And so I I put it this way. The origin of something determines its value. I'm going to sell my son's guitar. I'm going to stick it on eBay. What's it worth? I'll get 40 or 50 bucks. Yeah? Now, if I could prove to you that this guitar was played and owned by Elvis Presley, now how much would I be able to sell it for? Whoosh! Yeah? The Bible says you are made in the image of God. The Bible says he loves you so much he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. What value does that place upon your life? What value does God place upon you? How does he want me to view you? All my students, I try to look at them and say, God loves them, Jesus died for them. I'm not going to just poo-poo them and just treat them like, you know, they are an interruption to my day. They are important. I should treat them like that. Evolution gives no value to a human life. Creation gives great value to a human life. Now, what God says about seeking him, uh, there are many verses I could have shared here, but I only brought up a couple. God, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not for, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You're familiar with that? The next verse, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If someone comes on to do Alpha or Bible study and they're just there to sort of pick arguments with you, well, let them come, that's okay, because they're not arguing with you, they're arguing with the Spirit of God. And I'll put my money on the Spirit of God. But he respects that individual's right to freedom of choice. You will never convince someone to become a Christian. Only God can do that. Remember that, okay? That sort of takes the pressure off you. It's not, oh, I failed. No, you were faithful, you shared the word, and how they respond, well, that's up to them. There are four types of soil. They're number one, they're number one soil. Okay? And maybe it's a waste of time now, but who knows, we sow now, maybe God will reap later. So be patient, be faithful in sowing the word. But God says, I'm not here to satisfy your intellectual curiosity. It's not a game. If you really want to find me, you will find me. And Jesus said a very similar thing. He said, whoever is willing to do what God wants, not just know what God wants, I don't want to know the Bible, more about it. No, I'm there, I want to do what God wants. He'll know whether what I'm saying, what I teach, comes from God, or whether I speak on my own authority. If someone really wants to know the truth and obey it when they find it, 
That person, Jesus said, will, will hear my words, will read my words and say, yep, ring of truth. I can hear it. That's what happened to me. I came under conviction. I started my Bible study looking for faults. I was throwing yonis, stones at these hypotheses about Jesus. And they all came bouncing back at me. I ran out of stones. Okay? And I became convinced it was true. And then God touched me and dealt with me. And here I am today. Right. If people are genuinely seeking, they'll find him. But if they're not genuinely seeking, well, they won't. Now, the second C was conscience. This is from Romans chapter 2. And Paul, now he's been talking to the Jews saying, you know, you think you've got the law and you've got God figured out. What about the non-Jews? What about the Gentiles? Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law of Moses do by nature things required by the law. Now that word nature I've underlined. We're made in the image of God. Yes, since the garden, the mirror has been dropped and smashed into many, many pieces. Now look into a broken mirror and... I get a very distorted view, but I can still see that it's me. And even rebellious mankind, we still know what happened in Christchurch was wrong, what happened in Sri Lanka was wrong. The stuff people do to their families and their children and to their neighbours is terrible. And that Greek guy who drove down Swanson Street and Burke Street and killed how many people was it? I mean, he deserves to die. Sorry, a bit of a strong statement, but he does. And if society won't do it anymore, well, God will. But you see, we all have this built-in sense of justice, of right and wrong, which never came from evolution. Atoms and chemicals don't have a moral nature. The universe is not an immoral place. It's not a mo- amoral place. It is a moral place in space. And we're a part of it, the important part of it. We know right from wrong. Where do they come from? Oh, society, nature or nurture? Nurture, you were taught that. No, no, no. The themes are so common across all cultures, it's from nature, not nurture. They do by nature things required by the law. We all know it's right to love. We all know it's appropriate to tell the truth. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law of Moses. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts by God. Their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. A conscience. Where did that come from? This built-in umpire, right and wrong. It's come from our creator. That's the way God made us. We were to be his children, to walk in fellowship with him and in fellowship with one another. And the conscience is there to help me to do the right thing. We are moral beings. Evolution will never explain that. Can't explain that. And that is evidence that we're made in the image of God. Now yes, a lot of, pe- conscience, a lot of people's consciences let them get away with murder. Well, here's my joke for that. The conscience is like an umpire. Easily bribed. Yeah. If I feed it enough stuff, it'll let me get away with murder. But one day, as the next verse says, we'll all stand before God and give account. Now, the thing about the gospel. Now, if they've never heard the gospel, then they can't be held responsible to 
live up to the gospel? How can God judge them by a standard they've never heard? Paul's answer, he'll judge them by their own standards. Does that sound fair? Have you ever met anyone who's lived up to their own conscience? Hasn't felt guilty about anything they've done? No such person has ever lived, except for Jesus. Yeah? That's another reason for the existence of God. The morality that we all understand and ascribe to. The third seal is Christ. Well, the famous passage, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, two things, and the Word was God. Huh? Two gods? The plurality of God is not Genesis 1. Says God, God says, let us make man in our own image. He was talking in the plural then. He, oh, he, it's a person, not a thing. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. He's obviously talking about Jesus. And verse 18 of John chapter 1, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. If I want to communicate with ants, you know, there's, there's a flood coming, you better run, okay? Then the best way to communicate with them is to become an ant. And then they get the message, right? God, he wanted to communicate with mankind, did it in the most effective way possible. God became man. That's a pretty arrogant thing to claim. Uh, in 1 John, in his introduction to that book, he, John is still kind of going, wow. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. John's still blown away by this, I think, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we saw it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest or known to us. That which we have seen and have heard, we proclaim also to you. John is still trying to get around his head around it in his old age. Jesus was was God, and yet he was there. He sweats the way I do. He ate the way I did. It's still marvelous to him, and it should be marvelous to us. But see, have you heard people say Jesus never said he was God? Have you had people say that? I mean, they're just so ignorant of the scripture, it's, it's pathetic. Jesus said, John chapter 14, I am. I can stop there. Have we seen I am before? The burning bush. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. They took up stones to throw at him because he was calling himself God. Outrageous. Blasphemy. You know the Lord lie lunatic argument, don't you? 
No. C.S. Lewis. If it's true, then he's Lord. If he wasn't God, you've got two options. He either knew he wasn't God or he didn't know he wasn't God. If he knew that he wasn't God but kept saying, I am, I am, what does that make him? A liar. A con man. The world's dumbest con man. He gets himself killed for it. Or else he didn't know that he wasn't God. He just honestly thought that he was. What does that make him? Looney Tune. Now, Looney Tune might go up to a coffin and say, it's okay, rise up, Lazarus. But, but Lazarus won't rise up. Every time Jesus tried a miracle, he put his reputation on the line. And the crowds grew and grew and grew. And after three years of living with him, the disciples said, we know, we know he is the Son of God. So, plenty of evidence. But Jesus never claimed to be God. Don't give me that line, please. God revealed. Oh, yeah, so this is still going on in John 14. Oh, I I missed a bit, I'm sorry. (laughs) I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you, yeah, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And poor old Philip speaks up for everybody else and says, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Show us the Father. And again, Jesus' outrageous reply, You don't know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who sees me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. I've given you enough proof, Philip. You've seen it all. For three years you've been with me. And so you can now take my word for it. If you haven't got the message yet, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now, you might be thinking, Costa, how is that evidence of the existence of God? Before I get on to that. Jesus is God's exhibit A. Yes, the universe proclaims his glory. That's, that's up there too. Okay, But his greatest personal revelation is Jesus Christ, my son. And if people consider Jesus, they've got an important choice to make. You know, you can study Hitler, you can study Stalin, you can study anybody, you know, Shakespeare, but study Jesus and you're brought to a very uh, scary, crunchy point that you have to make a response. You can't ignore him. You either have to be for him or against him. And I've already said the primary thing that drives that decision is do I want to love God and submit to him or do I want to stay a rebel and and submit to no one myself? Hmm. You know, the spirit is against the flesh. You imagine I'm in in a fight against God. In the blue corner, costering resource. In the red corner, God Almighty. Now, come out fighting. How do you think that's going to go? Right? 
But arrogant, stupid mankind says, nah, I'll take my chances. Hmm. Now, friends, we're in a spiritual battle. If you're going to be working on evangelism as a fellowship to reach out to your neighbours and your community and your workmates, that's Raf's job. You're on the payroll, Raf? Or not yet. But when you are, that's your job. On our behalf, yours are the soldier for Jesus. I don't think so. He is not going to meet your neighbour. Who does God expect to use to reach your neighbour? Answer, you. Now, it's a spiritual battle. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. He is there to distract people. Vanity fair. Well, there's so much to do down here. Who's got time to worry about heaven? Well, you know, it won't be long before heaven will be the biggest thing they need to deal with. Or death, yeah? People don't think about dying. We, we sort of think that we're going to live forever. Until you lose a loved one, then you, you know, you grieve. But then somehow, maybe then, you start to think about what will be my turn next. But we go through life. Our culture doesn't want to deal with the topic of death because our culture has no answers. We have the answer. We, I know where I'm going when I die. And you know the gospel, not because I'm such a good guy, but it's because I'm Greek. <laughs> no, that's not right either. Um, mm. What Jesus has done for me, it is finished. He has done it. Right. But Satan is out there to stop people from thinking about Jesus. And he keeps spreading all the lies through movies and media and, you know, this Jason Palau thing. You know, it's just Christians are this and Christians are that. And he's trying to discredit the message. So you battle not against flesh and blood, brothers and sisters, but against spiritual powers. Now, I want to end with a positive note here. Yep, maybe their minds have been darkened. Well, the Bible says that their minds are darkened. And God is, Satan is keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel. But we know when Jesus returns, every eye shall see him. As far as the east from the west, the light up the sky like the lightning. And we know when he returns in Philippians 2, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For us, it will not be the first time. It'll be, you know, a great occasion, but we've been there and done that. But for the unbelievers, it will be the first time and their last time. In fact, to quote an old saying I heard many years ago, There will be no atheists in hell. By the time, what will make it hell is they will see Jesus and go and shrink away and be judged and then cast into the lake of fire or in that darkness and all the pictures Jesus used. But having seen God of light and God of love and then be cast away from that and knowing I was wrong forever, it's a pretty good definition of hell. See, they were atheists here and now, but in hell, what makes it hell is they won't be atheists then. They will know. But too late.
like the parable Jesus said. You know, Luke 16, you know, uh, Father Lazarus, uh, send some water to us. No, you can't. There's a big gap. They'll know he's there, but they're cut off from him. There is no greater privilege as a child of God than to lead someone else to the cross, that point of faith, to be the channel of God's love and grace and truth and mercy. And when you lead someone to Christ, you know, the Apostle Paul said, who is my crown? Who is my reason for boasting before the Lord? Who is my treasure? It's you. You're my treasure. And to think that we can be a part of bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, man, that, that, to me that's the heartbeat of being his disciple. And may God give you all, give us all, a real burden and a passion to be the means by which he brings others. Now the woman at the well, she was no theologian. She didn't have any apologetics sorted out. She just said, this guy has told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Well, let's go and have a look. And yes, bam, they came and believed. You don't have to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I don't know why God has hamstrung himself by saying, okay, I'll use you. You are my means, my ambassadors. I'll be with you always, the end of the age. But, you know, do it. Be a labourer for Christ. Well, the apologetics. Don't get caught up in an argument. Um, Just share the truth humbly, simply, as effectively as you can, and pray. Pray like crazy. That the Lord will open their eyes. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them to me. So, it's up to us, yeah, and it's up to God more. Yeah? But God says, I want to use you in the process. Well, be his volunteers, be his agents, yeah? Terrific. So, God exists, creation, conscience, Christ. So that's why uh, I use the Alpha course myself. And in the first chapter, he says, A lot of people say, Why don't we talk about God first? And he says, The typical Anglican response, Well, you see God through the lens of Jesus Christ. If you talk about Jesus first, then the God belief will follow as well. And there's a lot of truth to that. Okay? Praise the Lord. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your, um, for your revealing yourself to us through creation, through conscience, through Christ. Thank you, Father, that you brought us to a saving knowledge of yourself. And now, Lord, may the redeemed of the Lord say so. Father, might we uh, choose to be your ambassadors sharing the gospel of truth uh, with everyone you give us the opportunity to do so we ask in Jesus name for his glory's sake Amen Amen. Terrific, thank you